Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. This morning we're going to look at what it looks like to be good Bereans, that is to say, good students of God's Word. Uh, The term Berean is not something that you would hear just anywhere. You might have heard it in the church world once or twice, maybe never. Um, But Bereans, that's a reference to a group of people in the New Testament, a small town, the town of Berea, and uh, the citizens of Berea. Uh, who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, attended to the study of the gospel of Jesus Christ very, very uniquely very, uh, and very uh, studiously. Like they, they really were eager to hear the gospel. And it's kind of become an example of a church that were, that were known for being good studiers, good studiers of God, good studiers of God's word. And that's what we're going to kind of look at this morning in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. Uh, We're going to the next stop on the road in Paul's second missionary journey when he leaves Thessalonica and they come just a few miles down the road to the city of Berea and they meet the church there in, uh, at first, uh, they're meeting the Jews as usual in the synagogue. So uh, if you'll remember from last week, uh, we're studying uh, their stop in the city of Thessalonica, and the Jews became upset by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they gathered everybody together, and they went to the city square, and they found a bunch of unbelieving people and raised an uproar. And so then they sought to arrest Paul and Silas, and after not being able to find Paul and Silas, they arrested Uh, some of the leaders of the house church there. And um, after requiring that those people um, post bond, they were let out of jail and then they found Paul and Silas and helped them sneak out of town in the middle of the night. So they went a few miles down the road and they came to the city of Berea. And as was Paul's custom, they went straight to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, typically, when they went to the synagogue of the Jews, if there was one, if you'll remember in Philippi, uh, there was no synagogue. Uh, But when they came to the synagogue, typically there wasn't a warm reception from the Jews. Most of the time, it was a lot of skepticism. And a lot of times, the Jews were pretty upset or hostile about the fact that they were preaching that Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus from Nazareth, the one who was crucified, whom was rumored to have risen from the dead, they were preaching that that Jesus was the Messiah. And a lot of times the Jews were not receptive to that message. They didn't like it. They didn't want to hear it. But in Berea, they were met with a unique and warm reception. The Jews were actually willing to hear this message in a unique way. They were not uh, hostile. They were not resistant. In fact, it seemed like they were eager to hear more of what these guys had to say. So Paul and Silas were, um, 
were surprised by the warm reception that they got from the Jews in the synagogue of Berea. So we're going to take a look at that. Let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 15, and walk through those verses together. Verse 10 says this, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. They left. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so... Uh, Paul and Silas and uh, Timothy, um, they came to Berea and they went to the synagogue of the Jews and they began to preach and they began to teach. And they were met with this warm reception to begin with. Uh, the first thing that it says that uh, I think is notable is that they were of, it says in verse 11, now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica. So by comparison, uh, that was, I believe, a reference to the reception of the Jews specifically. Now, there's not a lot of cases in Scripture where we see that phrase, noble-minded. Um, and so it's a little mysterious as to what it actually means. Noble obviously means of uh, to be well-born or to um, have good eugenics, so to speak. It's the Greek word eugenics. That's where that comes from. Um, so, But this doesn't really speak so much to the kind of people that were there as much as the heart and the mindset of those people that were there. They had a mindset that was different than the mindset of those that were in Thessalonica. Obviously, since we've studied the, the trip to Thessalonica, we know that they did come to believe. But it was, it was through a lot of work that it took Paul to persuade those people in Thessalonica. But here in Berea, it seems as though they were already prepared and ready to hear the gospel. Uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, we hear of a concept of being, uh, the concept of being simple-minded. It's kind of the opposite of being noble-minded. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22, it says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves, and scoffers and fools hate knowledge. So this is in the context of discussing wisdom and knowledge and understanding and truth. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, if you kind of read the full context around that, in verse 20 it says, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voices in the square. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out, at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings, meaning that, that wisdom is shouting from all over the place for people to listen, 
for people to pay attention, for people to accept what is wise and what is true so that they can avoid being foolish and living in a way that is destructive. So in essence, it is God saying to us that wisdom is available. God's given to us wisdom. God's given to us truth. We don't have to live a life of foolishness. We don't have to live a life that is aimless and wandering around in, uh, in deception and being easily deceived, uh, an easily deceived type of people. So he's saying wisdom is available, and he asks this question in Proverbs. He says, oh, how long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? So that's the concept, uh, basically, of being lazy-minded. Somebody who is content with what it is that they believe and not interested at all in whether or not what they believe is even true. It's a willingness to just simply say, I believe what I believe and don't bother me with your beliefs. And it is a, it's a lazy form of naivety and an approach at what is true and what is wise and what is false. It is to simply say, I'm content with the way that I live and I don't really care about whether or not it's wise or whether or not it's foolish. It's working for me. And God is saying that's a simple-minded way of life. There is wisdom that's available, and you need wisdom. And he continues to say that scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. It's, it's the idea of saying that knowledge is unnecessary, that it's, it's frivolous and not actually helpful. It's not really practical. It's the foolish idea that knowledge is not needed. And so then he tells them, he says, fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you. So this is God speaking to the foolish person. I'm giving you knowledge. I'm giving you wisdom. Don't be simple minded. Don't be naive and believe that the foolishness that you're living in is not going to lead to your destruction. So he's giving his word, he's giving revelation of what is true and what is good and what is right. And if you go back to Acts chapter 17 and you read about the Bereans, he starts by saying that these people were noble-minded, seeming to indicate that they were not a simple-minded kind of people, that in their hearts and in their minds they were ready to listen to the truth ready to examine what they believed and test it, ready to investigate these claims that were being brought to them to see if they might be true. They were not content to just live in what might be their own foolishness. They wanted to make sure they understood what actually was true, and they were willing to go through the work that was necessary to determine if what they believed was true or not true. So when these men came to Berea claiming to bring the good news of God, they wanted to hear it and then they wanted to test it, right? And I think that is, that is a really good example of how we should all come to God's word. We should all come to approach, we should all approach God and approach his word with this kind of mind and with this kind of heart. Not a lazy 
naive contentment with foolishness. It's a willingness to examine and to recognize that there is knowledge to be had that I do not yet have. And we, even as believers who've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, need to continue maintaining this same kind of mind and heart toward God and toward his word. It's a willingness to recognize that we don't know all that we could know about God. We don't yet know all that we need to know. It's a willingness to recognize that if I think I know everything, I'm probably foolishness and I'm probably foolish in my pride. And so we see this initial note that they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And then he says, for they received the word with great eagerness, meaning that they received, they were willing to receive this initial presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with great eagerness. That word great means all, with all eagerness. And that word eagerness means excitement or a readiness or an enthusiasm. So they were enthusiastic about the the listening to the word of God. They were enthusiastic and excited about hearing God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but I think for me, um, I've grown up in church and I've been exposed to the reading of God's word every week of my life uh, as as far back as I can remember. And it's very easy to get to a place even as a believer, of complacency and uh, to, to the extent where the reading of God's word sometimes, uh, I've allowed myself to get bored with it or I've allowed myself to simply say, I've heard this story before, lead me on to something else that I've not heard yet or tell me something new or tell me something exciting. And I think this is a, a reminder to us that as believers, that we need to stir up our hearts and our minds in God's word enough, and we need to come to the Lord and ask the Spirit of God to stir up within our hearts a new excitement for his word. Because we have to recognize that there is more here than what we have come to understand, even if we've been in this our entire lives. There is a lot in God's word, and I can testify to you right now that even as I continue to study for the purpose of preaching on Sunday mornings, Every time I open a text and begin studying it for the purpose of preaching it, the Lord begins to show me things that I have not seen in those scriptures, even though I've read them, studied them, or even taught them before today. And God continues to lead me to new things that I've yet to understand. And I would encourage everyone that might be listening this morning to continue to ask the Lord to stir up within your heart an excitement and an eagerness to hear the word of God and not just hear the word of God, but to receive the word of God. And that's a willingness to let the Holy Spirit convict our hearts. And I think that's what they were ready and willing to do was to let the Holy Spirit convict them of what was true to the extent that they were willing to change their behavior and change their entire lives according to what they were hearing from God in that moment. That is a willingness to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I think that is one thing that we need to recognize that's true about God's word is that this is revelation of God. It is 
words from God. It is words that are given to us by God, but the Holy Spirit uses his word to change us. He uses his word to transform us by the renewing of our minds. He uses his words to convict us of where we are living in unholiness and to lead us to change our behaviors. He leads us to believe things that are true that we've yet to accept or yet to see. He leads us to see things that we believe that are actually false. And he shows us where we are believing things that are false. He leads us to see ourselves when we read his word. Uh, I've heard it said before that when we read God's word, God's word reads us. It shows us who we are and exposes to us the truth about us so that we can deal with that and so that we can, again, be more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And that would be the desire to receive with eagerness the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, remember Timothy's on this journey with them, and these are some of the words that God gave, or that Paul gave to Timothy as an encouragement as a pastor and as somebody who's going to continue being in the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and leading people to follow the Word of God. This is what he told Timothy about the Word of God, and we know these scriptures very well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He was saying to Timothy, reminding Timothy that his grandmother had been teaching him from his youth that... Uh, and, and reading to him the words of God and teaching him that God is true and God is good and God is holy and God is righteous and God is the creator and God is the judge. And he was, and he was being led since he was young to believe in God and to follow God and to worship God. And Timothy was reminding, uh, Paul was reminding Timothy that these things you've been convinced of, you've heard them and you need to continue in them. And these are the sacred writings that God has used to give you wisdom that has led to your salvation and has led to your faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying these are sacred teachings and these are your source of wisdom and truth. And this is what he says about them. We know this verse very well. 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is inspired by God. Now that word inspired is different than what we mean when we say that when we're uh, painting something, we're inspired. You know, I'm, I was inspired to paint this image because I felt a certain way by something. Scripture being inspired, that Greek word means God breathed. It's not just something that Paul felt. It's not just something that the writers of the Bible felt it's something that God spoke through them. God breathed these words out. They are the words of God. They are inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And that should be our goal as believers in Jesus Christ, that we become adequate and 
and equipped for every good work that God might have us to do, which means that there are good works that God is calling you and I to be part of in the lives that we live. And there are things that God wants us to do for his glory and his honor, but we need to be equipped to do those things well. We need to be equipped with faith. We need to be equipped with uh, righteousness and with strength and with understanding and with knowledge and with truth. And he's telling Timothy to continue coming to the word of God that you know so well. Continue being in the word of God because the word of God is profitable to teach you. It will reprove you, it will correct you, and it will train you in righteousness. And we need that continual work of God in our heart and in our lives. So it is that concept that I believe Paul is refreshed by when he says that he comes to Berea and as he began teaching in the synagogue, he found all these Jewish people that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as he was preaching, he found them to be so receptive. They were eager and they, and they were excited to receive what he was preaching because they valued what he was saying as the word of God. Notice what it says next. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they were ready, they were eager, they were excited, they received the word of God, but they didn't just blindly receive these things. They tested those claims to see if they were true. Uh, which is a sign of a good student of God's words, the sign of somebody who's not going to be easily deceived in this world. I think it's very wise for us to test all claims of truth, even if they're coming from people that you've come to trust. Don't get lazy about testing claims of truth. There are people that I enjoy listening to preach. There are some men that, um, some preachers and teachers that have been around for a really long time. And um, they're, th these are not pastors that I've had the privilege of going to their churches, but I listen to their podcasts or I listen to their sermons that have been recorded. I enjoy hearing them teach and I've come to kind of trust what they say. In general, I feel like they kind of hit the nail on the head when they open God's word. They seem to get it right. And they seem to be able to unpack it for me in a way that I can understand. And they seem to be able to explain it in a way that strengthens and encourages me. And God uses uh, their explanation of it to help me find good application. But it's every on occasion, I find them making mistakes, which is understandable because they're humans. They're mortal people. And they are not... Uh, inspired by God, and they are not an apostle of Jesus Christ. These people make mistakes. Uh, but it's easy sometimes, I think, in the church world for us to find people that we find to be very inspiring, and very um, they teach really well, and they seem to unpack God's word well for us, and we tend to put them on a pedestal and idolize them to some extent, and then we tend to drop our guard and accept everything that they might have to say. And I think it is a good discipline for all believers to not get lazy about listening to God's word that we ought to be willing to test 
every claim of truth ourselves, which requires a little discipline and requires a little bit of work. It means that when you listen to somebody teach or when you listen to somebody preach, you should probably have your own Bible open looking at it to make sure that I'm telling you what's actually true. You need to be able to look at it and see for yourself that that's what it actually says. Or if I say something to you that's new that maybe you've never heard before, go back to God's Word and make sure that's what God's Word actually says. Cross-reference. Look at other scriptures. Make sure that the way this one's being interpreted is supported with what everything else in scripture says. That does take a little bit of work. That takes a little bit of study. It takes a little bit of time. You might need to take your devotional that you read. And, you know, those devotionals are designed to be really easy, right? You got a little scripture and then a lot of things that somebody has to say about it and then something to pray about. Well, you might need to open your Bible and look at that scripture for yourself and maybe study it, get into it, read the context, see if that's what it actually says and actually means. Dive into God's word yourself. And I think what we see as an example from the people in Berea is a picture of people who were eager and ready and they wanted to make sure that they didn't just trust anybody. They wanted to make sure that the claims of truth that they were listening to were actually the truth. And Paul was very impressed by this. Paul was very excited to see their discernment, their willingness to test those spirits, those claims of truth. And so he was recognizing that in them. So he says this, Now these things, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That word examine means to investigate. Investigate. An investigator is somebody who maybe they see a piece of what might be evidence, but they want to investigate to, to make sure that that actually connects uh, with all the other things that they're looking at. They're going to ask questions and they're going to make sure that it's true. But as a result of this, after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says, then verse, thir- in verse 12, therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek men and women. Now, uh, that phrase there, along with a number, means not a... F- not a few. That's the Greek translation of that. Not a few. We don't usually say it like that, but it basically means a lot. So it's a kind of the backwards way of saying a lot. There were a lot of people that came to trust in Jesus Christ because of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even after examining those claims to see if they were true, they found them to be true. And these were scholars. These were studiers of God's word. These were Jews who knew the Old Testament really well. They knew the law and they knew the prophets. And when they heard the claims from the apostles about Jesus the Nazarene being the Messiah and that him rising from the dead is the salvation and the good news of God, they test those theories to see if they were true and they went back to God's word and they compared the notes and they looked at all the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and they looked at all the indicators of Jesus being born and and raised and dying on the cross and rising from the dead they they looked at all those and connected the dots and they said yeah this is the guy this is true and they came to believe in Jesus Christ and they accepted him as their savior 
many people were saved. Now, the same thing happened in Berea as did in Thessalonica for Paul and Silas and Timothy. Only it's interesting this time, the people in Berea didn't get upset with Paul. They were excited about what Paul was preaching and teaching. They wanted him to stay and they wanted him to keep teaching. But unfortunately, their little town was too close to Thessalonica. So word got out in Thessalonica and all the Jews that were still really upset because people had gotten saved and were believing in Jesus Christ. And now the church was growing in Thessalonica and people were, uh, the gospel was continuing to spread there and more people were getting saved. Those Jews got upset and they heard the rumor that Paul was leading more people down the road to be saved. So they got a little mob together and they hit the road down to Berea to stir up the crowds in Berea and they followed him there created an uproar there in Berea to the extent that Paul had to leave town. And so they went to the coast and he got on a ship and he sailed to Athens. Um, and if you look at it geographically, this is just a side note, probably not a lot of application here, but it's interesting. It's not easy to walk from Berea to Athens in Greece because um, Mount Olympus is in the way. He would have had to go over the mountain. And that would have been too hard. So they go to the coast and get on a ship and sail around. So that's what they did. And it takes a long time. And uh, Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea to continue teaching for a while. But when Paul got to Athens, he sent word to have Silas and Timothy join him in Athens. And then we're going to pick that up next week, the study of the church of Corinth, um, after he travels in that direction. But today... Here's what I'd like us to consider and to kind of pray through as we walk through this, as we kind of look at this example. Just pray that um, God would lead us to be as eager for his word as the Bereans were when Paul showed up. Um, one thing I'd like to note as we pray through this is that it, as we share the gospel, it would be exciting for us to find people who are excited to hear what we have to say, right? That'd make, that'd make all of our jobs a lot easier, don't you think? If people were just like, yeah, will you tell me about Jesus? I really want to know about Jesus. Can you tell me about the Bible? I don't know anything about the Bible. Can you help me understand what the Bible says? We'd all be like, uh, yeah, come over to my house right now. Let's get the Bible out. And we'll, we'll have a little Bible study or let's, get, let's go get coffee. I think most of us would be pretty pumped up and excited about that opportunity. And on occasion, I've heard some of you guys share stories where you found people that are that excited. And I just would like to say that I think that that's due to the work of the Holy Spirit preparing people's hearts. I think when Paul got to Berea, God was already working before Paul got there. God was preparing the hearts of those people to be ready to hear that word so that when he got there, they were with wide open arms ready to receive that word. So when I say let's pray for this, what we're praying for is that the Holy Spirit of God would do that work in people around us, but also continue stirring our hearts with that same kind of excitement. Um. If we've gotten to a place where we feel a little numb towards God's word or where scripture seems a little boring to us or when we read it, it seems as though we just don't get much out of it. 
I think what we need to do is draw near to God and pray that God would help us to be excited about this again. God, will you please help me understand what you have to say? Help me read it. Help me want to read it. Help me understand it. Help me like it. Help me be excited about it. Show me the goodness. Show me the riches. Show me your glory in your word. And I believe that if we're believers, the same spirit of God that dwells in me dwells in you. The same spirit of God that dwelled in Paul dwells in you. And I believe that spirit will help you to be excited about his word again. And so that'd be something that I would encourage us all to do as believers. Pray that God would stir up our hearts to be excited about his word again. And that he would help us to examine what we believe. Take all the things we believe, all the theories, all the philosophies, all the doctrines and truths we think we know are true. Take them all back to God's word and test them. Make sure that we believe what is true. Just because mama said it doesn't mean it's always all true. Now, mamas have a lot of good things to say, but they're not necessarily all true. All right? Test those theories. And uh, I'd like to just encourage you, if you're at all wrestling with God, if you're wondering if you're in right relationship with God, if you're not sure about the teachings of God's word, if you're not sure if they are true, just pray a simple prayer to God. That's just cry out to God and say, God, please help me see if you're true. All right. And be willing to look in God's word and, and search it out and see if God might show himself to you. It might be that the Lord's pulling on your heart. It might be that the Lord is changing your heart and leading you to believe in him. But maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're a little skeptical. It's okay to just ask God to show you that he's true. And I believe he will. Um, so I encourage you to cry out to the Lord for help in that as you struggle. And then as believers, I encourage you to pray that you, he would help us to find lost people that are hungry for this gospel and that we would not be so shy that we would miss those opportunities. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.